Hi, and welcome back to the Pop Punk Project. We are on episode three. Thanks so much for tuning back in. I am your co-host, Keenan. And I'm your other co-host, Mike. As you know, the Pop Punk Project is exploring all of our favorite pop punk bands from yesteryears and today. On this episode, we're listening to Newfound Glory's Sticks and Stones. Let's crowd surf in. <laughs> This album was released June 11th, 2002. It was the third studio album for Newfound Glory following 1999's Nothing Gold Can Stay, which was their debut album, and then their self-titled album, which came out in the year 2000. They also had uh, a cover album called From the Screen to Your Stereo, which was cover songs from famous films uh, that they were fans of. The album charted at number four on Billboard 200, certified gold by the RIAA. And I think, Mike, there was a lot of good momentum leading up to this album. They were not super famous. They had a lot of good publicity from their earlier album. They had a big hit called Hit or Miss. I know that that did really well. They also appeared on Warp Tour that previous summer, and they were featured in the movie American Pie 2 in the year 2001. So there was a lot of, a lot of good energy around them as a band. What I also knew about the band was Mark Hoppus was a huge fan of theirs. So there's a connection back to Blink-182, Mike. He's the kingmaker. He is a kingmaker. He sort of discovered Simple Plan, as we saw, and now it appears that he discovered Newfound Glory. He was a big fan of theirs. He mentioned them in an interview for the Rolling Stone, and then subsequently Newfound Glory picked up Blink-182's manager, and he became their manager, this guy Rick DeVoe. So... A lot of good energy leading into this album. Mike, what can you tell us about the year 2002? What in the world was going on then? So as you said, Keenan, this album came out in 2002, uh, June, halfway through the year. Great summer month. A lot of really fun stuff going on. You know, we still have the war in Afghanistan, which we kind of want to veer away from because we're trying to keep it light, keep it light and airy and pop punky. But it just makes me think, Mike, that that was such a big theme. The war in Afghanistan, 9-11, that was dominated the headlines for years after that. And so it's going to be, it's always going to be present when we discuss albums <laughs> exactly. from back Just then. assume most of these albums we're talking about, the war on terror is ongoing. We didn't plan this, but I think this album was only a couple months later than Simple Plan's album that we talked about uh, on the previous episode. That aside, so Spider-Man is the summer blockbuster and uh, we all remember Tobey Maguire the most masculine heartthrobbish Spider-Man to ever play the role I don't know if Tobey Maguire's done much else since then but he was Spider-Man so you can't really knock the guy for that a uh, couple big TV show debuts in the month of June we had Kim Possible on the Disney Channel American Idol on Fox uh, The Wire on HBO and Crank Yankers on Comedy Central. So a mixed bag there in terms of, you know, you want to compare The Wire, one of the greatest shows ever made, to Crank Yankers, one of the other greatest shows ever made. Those are four all-timers. Four all-timers. And American Idol, which is still a powerhouse. I think it left TV for a couple years, went from Fox to ABC. Another little thing, Pope John Paul canonized Padre Pio. 
Some Catholic news. Yeah, some big Catholic <laughs> news. But I, so I was like, he's still everybody just still calls him Padre Pio. Like he's technically Saint Pio, but you can't beat that alliteration. So what's his story? Do you know? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you had some cool story about Padre Pio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did he get stigmata? I think he might have had stigmata. Sure, that sounds right. So once you have holes in your hand, how can you not be canonized? Fast track. It's a simple. It's a simple call there. And then, uh, Juego de Bonita, the beautiful game. Brazil beats Germany to win its record fifth World Cup all the way back in 2002. So, World Cup. Sorry, what did you call that? I was trying to call it the beautiful game in Spanish, but I messed it up. Oh. Juego, Juego Bonito. What is it called? Oh, it's Portuguese. Fogo Bonito. Oh, okay. It's a nickname for the beautiful game, which is football. Gotcha. Soccer. Now I know. I learned something new today. I I think I confused myself even more. Yeah, I think you might have. But So, first experiences with this album. I think, for me, I wasn't super familiar with this album. I knew... Some of the more famous songs, My Friends Over You was dominating the radio at that time. Head On Collision was a very popular one as well. But I don't think I really listened to the entire album back then. What I do remember is that our friend Tom Mackle, who's we mentioned in last week's episode, he's our rock star friend. Mm -hmm. He was obsessed with Newfound Glory back then. And so I know that whenever I'd be at his house, he would have them playing in his basement. We would watch their music videos over and over again. And he also had some warp tour live videos and newfound glory was always featured on those. So I think Tom really introduced me to them and got me excited about them. And then more recently I got into them and they became a favorite band of mine. I've been to three newfound glory concerts in the last three years, which I know is a lot, maybe a little aggressive, but my brother Shane and I, that's kind of been our thing the last three years. We'd go to the concerts whenever they would come to town. Awesome. Personally, I think I never really listened to this album right when it came out. I kind of caught on more with Newfound Glory with their next album, Catalyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the, the single off that album, All Downhill From Here, a lot on probably MTV2. I used to watch the rock video countdowns every Saturday night, and that was on there quite often. And then from there, I kind of started checking out their back catalog. I do remember I had heard My Friends Over You through various mediums over the the years prior. Their Catalyst album kind of cemented Newfound Glory as a band that I really enjoyed. And then at the time, I went back and listened to this album. Uh, I honestly am not as current as you are with their newer stuff. But I do remember there was a couple times, actually after my bachelor party, we were driving back home. And we listened to some newer Newfound Glory, and it still uh, hit all the right notes with me. So I think maybe going forward, they're definitely a band I would like to try to check out once again. I haven't been to three concerts in three years, but there are certain bands where you're like, I could definitely still go see these guys live, even if I haven't checked them out in, in quite some time. And NFG, I feel like they're the kind of group that knows, you know, we got to play our new stuff, but we also got to play the hits, so... Well, that's what I love about them. They still release new music constantly. They've been releasing albums ever since Sticks and Stones and Catalyst. They always have new hits. And 
when they tour, whenever they're live, they're always incredible live. They still have the same energy they always had when they were younger. So they're great. Yeah, they're really fun to see, which is why I guess I keep going back. I just thought of, it doesn't involve this exact album, but we were talking about Catalyst briefly. And I remember there was a time in eighth grade when we were trying to sing All Downhill From Here. And I was actually pinching my nose to sound like Jordan. Yeah, I remember that. And my nose started bleeding. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Our teacher uh, was it, was, it was like during a break or something. And she was like, what the hell are you doing? So we're just trying to um, sing like Jordan from Newfound Glory. Like even a 13 year old couldn't get that high. What I love about Jordan is that he does have that really authentic pop punk sound where he's almost whining. For sure. If you look him up on Instagram, I think he calls himself the whiner of Newfound Glory. <laughs> it's their sound, you know? It is their sound. It's become synonymous with them. You know, there's certain groups where we, we talked about Blink a couple episodes back and Tom's not really part of the group right now. They've been able to move forward and still release decent music. If Jordan left this band, then I probably wouldn't listen to it anymore, honestly. I don't think they would be able to continue on as Newfound Glory if Jordan leaves. He's like the defining um, piece of this, which I guess most of the time the lead singer kind of is that piece, but still. So, Mike, what are some themes that you can tell us about that are in this album? We're still looking at a lot of girls, a lot of breakups, a lot of relationships with uh, girls, family, or otherwise. There's some songs about uh, losing people. There's some songs about still pining for people. And it's just a lot of relatable themes, I guess. Probably for me, in terms of what we've already talked about, Versus the the Blink, Enema, The Stay and Simple Plan. I think this is a more relatable album, I guess, for where we are in life right now. I feel like the past two reviews we did were more sophomoric, a little childish. And this one is kind of like, we still first heard it at a time when we were younger. But I think the themes still resonate, at least with me, to this day. Yeah, I definitely picked up on the fact that maybe because it's their third album... It feels like the themes are a little more mature, and it seems like they as a band are a little more mature than Blink-182 and Simple Plan when they recorded those albums. Right. And something that I thought was kind of interesting was, you're totally right, similar themes, except they kind of go a step further. There's one song that I noticed that's about an apology, which I don't think we heard in Blink or in Simple Plan. A lot of it was blaming other people from those two bands, whereas Newfound Glory actually has an apology song in this album. Right. I thought that was a little interesting, and that speaks to that maturity. Yeah, that's true. You're not going to apologize when you're 13 or 23. <laughs> I was telling you, when we first decided we wanted to check out this album next, to this point in time, this is probably the one I've been most excited about because I just think front to back, I've been listening to this one for so long that it was like visiting an old friend. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Thanks. So some interesting details. There are multiple people, multiple famous people that are featured in this album. I think two that I made note of, Mike, were Mark Hoppus. He makes an appearance playing bass on something I call personality. And then Matt Skiba, who was a member of Alkaline Trio at the time, who's now the guitarist of Blink-182. He does backing vocals on Forget My Name. Ah, okay. That's cool. Skiba, that's interesting because I similar to what we discussed before with Joel Madden on a simple plan track. I honestly couldn't tell you there was anybody other than Jordan on that song. Mark Hoppus. That's cool that he played bass on something I call personality, but that's basically like saying 
you and me played bass on <laughs> something I called personality. Yeah, you'd never know. Bong, 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 bong. <laughs> You're right. You wouldn't know unless you actually looked it up. I had to look it up, but there are two of a handful of people who are featured on this album that you might not know otherwise. Could you imagine being like, obviously we just discussed Blink and, or at least Mark and Newfound Glory had a good relationship and Mark calls him up and it's like, hey, I love your sound. I would really love to be involved on your next project. And they're like, oh, sick, sick, sick. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's like, I want to play bass on one of your tracks. It's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, actually, we're fine. Thank you. We have a bassist. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have that guy already. <laughs> Could you do like what you do on that Simple Plan album where like you do like 30 seconds and it's dope? Yeah. <laughs> Good on Mark though, man. He's always out here trying to help the people out. He's making the rounds. It makes me think if we started a pop punk band, then Mark Hoppus would just slide into the DMs like, what can I do for you guys? Well, if he's listening, we'd love to have him on the <laughs> podcast. Maybe next episode. Maybe episode 182. Oh, that would be pretty <laughs> awesome. I hope we make it. I hope we do too. So what else was interesting, Mike, the very famous, very popular pop punk band, All Time Low, they took their name from Newfound Glory song, Head on Collision. I did wonder that when I was listening through, that lyric did stand out because it was their band name. I never really put the two and two together, I guess, but that's pretty cool. And similarly, the band, The Story So Far, another very popular pop punk band, took their name from the song, the story so far. So there you go. That's like the ultimate flattery, you know? If uh, a lyric or a song title on your album made another group of guys so humble that they were like, this is our band name. We all love this song or we all love this line. That's got to be pretty cool. Well, it just shows how influential this album turned out to be, right? For sure. Track one, Mike, understatement. I feel like I say this all the time, but it's a great upbeat leadoff track. I think you've said that every time so far. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about it, like, should I should I stop saying that? Because the majority of these albums are going to have an upbeat leadoff track. And then I was thinking, well, Good Charlotte has the usual like, instrumental leadoff track, so whatever. Either way, it's a great first song on the album. It's a song that I really remember fondly. I was listening back through this album and there's a lot of songs that kind of relate to uh, what I call body language, which I think is a lot of pop punk songs in general. They talk about like their throats or their necks or their jaws or whatever. So the first line is, I'm sick of smiling and so is my jaw. That wasn't nasally enough. I'm sick of That line always is like, yeah. And then I'm listening to it today. I'm like, okay, okay, that's cool. I just kind of was thinking as I was listening to that line, like that's a lot of pop punk songs. It's like talking about kind of relating your emotions to your physical features, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting that you picked up on that. I'm not sure I would have noticed that. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting line and also kind of like a little bit of a cheese ball line, I guess. But Which is okay. Yeah. It's one I remembered. So obviously... It's had a lasting impact. What I 
thought about this song is that it's very much a concert mosh pit feel song. Mm-hmm. This is the song that I feel like they want to get the circle pit going at the small house shows. So they play this song. I can see that for sure. Because the drum beat is very, it's a very fast blast beat. Mm-hmm. What I kind of thought this song was about, Mike, was I think it's about an ex, boyfriend or girlfriend, who thinks that they're better than you. And it's like that situation where the grass is always greener on the other side. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think we can definitely assume it's about an ex. There's, you know, the classic tropes of your pictures are already burned. I'm done with everything that had to do with you. Like, I'm done with new friends, which is, you know, Drake, no new friends. That's still, like, pretty prevalent in music today. You got all the people you need in your life. So I definitely think it's about an ex or somebody that you're you're over. But you, you kind of hold out this feeling. It's like, you'll be back. You always come back. Yeah. There's also a line that I don't think it actually has to do with what I think of it as, but... There's a line where uh, Jordan sings, I'm sick of clapping when I know I can do it better for myself. And I always kind of thought that in my mind, that reminded me of like group projects at school when it's like you're in a group and it just slows everything down and everybody is so stupid and doesn't (laughs) want to take an equal role. And you might as well just do it yourself. Yeah. And then you present and everybody like applauds. It's like, well, I actually could have done such a better job if. I just didn't have three other people that were like trying to not help me out. (laughs) That reminds me of when we were in grade school, we had, we did like a, it was like a 1920s prohibition project or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we talked about gangsters and and whatnot and speakeasies. Yeah, I remember that. And I just remember we were in the library, the the lunch break before we had to present gluing pictures onto a poster board, (laughs) (laughs) like trying to salvage our project and we ended up getting like a great grade because we had a a pretty funny presentation anyway i know it has nothing to do with it but group projects suck and i hate when people get lauded for things that they don't deserve it's interesting how this is not the first time that we've related these songs back to homework or test taking or something that stresses us out about school for sure yeah it's still like we talked about previously there's still nightmares at night you wake up in a cold sweat because you have to hand in a project or take a take a test and you're not ready. Mike, have you seen the music video for this song? I haven't. I honestly didn't even know there was one. It's really cool. As soon as I describe it, you'll be able to picture it perfectly. But it's a classic concert footage tour montage music video. Do you know the ones I'm talking about? Ah, uh, dude, those are the best. They are the best. You got somebody on the bench seat on the tour bus just like doing like a tongues out like ah. Exactly. Yep. I'm yeah. sure that's in there. But a lot of on stage footage, a lot of jumping around, a lot of crowd scenes. It's really, really good, really high energy, really fun. I gotta check that out. And we'll we'll post that in the show notes, I'm sure. Yeah. Second song, the highlight of the album, most popular lead single from the album, My Friends Over You. This is probably my first introduction to the band 
And I think I remember hearing it. I heard their Catalyst album and kind of went back to it. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's these guys. Because back in the day, it wasn't as easy finding all the time, like, who sung what or... If we're being completely frank, a lot of these bands kind of could have been misconstrued for one another. So I remember when I first listened to NFG and I realized that they sang this song. I'm like, oh, I actually really like this song. So and then that kind of led me to check out this album as a whole. So I feel like this song for a lot of people, it was the first single, I believe, and was probably most people's introduction to this album that made them interested in wanting to check out what else was on here. Yeah, this is by far the most popular song from the album. I think it's one of their most famous songs of all time. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting, I read about, it was the last song written for the album. It evolved from a single riff to a full song in just a day or two. And what's really weird about that is that there are multiple bands in the pop punk genre where their lead single from their breakout albums was actually the last song written very last minute, very quickly, and became Sensations. Like, Sum 41's Fat Lip was the exact same thing, Hmm. which I think is very interesting. I wonder if part of that might be recency bias, you know? It's like, we just finished this great song, and who knows? By the time you you finish writing it and recording it, it might seem the freshest and the best song, and the old ones that you played 20 times are like, eh, these aren't as good. Yeah. I wonder if that plays a role or not, but that is pretty cool. I, I would have never guessed that it was the last song written i would have thought that it was one of the first one that they wanted to kind of sculpt the album around but exactly thinking of this as like the one that they kind of fit in is is pretty crazy honestly yeah it just seems like that's a a weird coincidence that you see across these bands is they just happen to write this song and it falls in their lap and becomes a major major hit and you said it was written about a day it was it evolved from a single riff to a full song in about a day or wow. two, maybe. That's awesome. So it was a very quick creation as well. That's like divine intervention. Uh, I guess, yeah. Just some, you just start flowing and it's like you can't turn it off until you, you got it done. Exactly, exactly. They were struck by lightning with this one. Very cool. So the song, as you can probably guess, it's about a guy who's going out with a girl and she hates his friends and... At the end of the day, the guy picks his friends over the girl. Pretty straightforward, I think. I never picked up on it, but re-listening to it and rereading the lyrics, I actually got this different idea that there's a sarcastic tone to it, and it feels like a breakup argument. Like, the guy is saying, oh, it's all right to pretend that we still talk. It's my fault that it fell apart. It's like he's saying these these last things in a final argument. Yeah, it's like he's echoing the things that she's been saying to him as like his flaws or his shortcomings. Exactly. Like he's pseudo agreeing with her about all these things. And the one that really stands out is the line, please tell me everything that you think that I should know about all the plans we made when I was nowhere to be found. Like that's a classic complaint that she probably has about him that she has said over and over again. And he's finally like, okay, why don't you tell me about that again? It's every day. Yeah, it's every day. (laughs) You're like... You never told me this. It's like, I, I talked about this 20 times. It's like, no, you did. You never mentioned this. It's kind of funny. It's like, you're always making plans. And it's like, you didn't mention these plans to me. It's like, well, I'm leaving. I'm going out with my friends. It's like, okay, whatever. Right. Like, you can picture that argument happening. For sure. I've had it. But then that means that when he says, I still pick my friends over you, that's like, oh, you never like my friends anyway. Okay, goodbye. Right. It's like the final thing that you would say in one of those 
break up sarcastic arguments. Yeah, and one line that in particular I thought was is a really great line is it took me a while to kind of try to discern what I thought it meant. <laughs> I feel kind of silly because it's like it's a pop punk lyric from 2002, but the the line is there's no room left here on my back. It was damaged long ago. I was thinking like is he like lying on his back and like feeling broken? But then I was thinking like it's probably like this is just the last final argument like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. And um, he just can't support this person or this relationship anymore. And I thought that was like a pretty cool way of, of saying it. So rereading these lyrics and re-listening to this song, was this the original like Rose Before Hose? Yeah, it had to be. Like is my friends over you like all those things that you give your buddies or your girlfriends pep talks about before you head out for the night. Was this the original uh, mantra? Absolutely. It definitely has that sentiment to it. I like that better. My friends over you. Got a little arithmetic in there too. Yeah. My does. friends greater yeah. greater or equal to than you. Once again, we go back to school and math. Sure. Our favorite subjects. The other thing, besides the fact that this is a great song, super popular, almost everybody's favorite. Mike, I think the other thing that's really cool about this song is it has, in my opinion, it has one of the best bridges in probably in all of pop punk music. Off the top of my head, I probably can't think of one that I would rival it with. It definitely is like a really cool breakdown. You mentioned earlier, Understatement's a great song to like just jump in the pit. And I feel like, is the bridge the part of this song from your live experiences where everybody just goes crazy? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one where I feel like the band just wants everybody to jump together in unison and where they just get the crowd going. Awesome. Song number three is a song called Sunny, and this one is a little bit different, Mike. This is one that's always stood out for me, like one that I always kind of always enjoyed listening to. It was on the sadder side, obviously. It's about uh, somebody dying or passing away. There's a lot of lines that allude to that, but kind of clicked. I'm like, okay, so every pop punk band has their death song. So far, we've seen Adam's song, that random simple plant song that I don't remember, and then this one. So every pop punk band kind of takes their stab at like a sentimental losing somebody track there's a lot of loss in a majority of these songs but this one is different it's i think you had said it's about i believe jordan's grandfather passing away he was kind of thinking about him when he wrote this yeah i read that jordan wrote this specifically about his grandfather which is what definitely makes it different from adam's song and meet you there meet you there that was it because those songs i think were just generally about death we learned that Adam's song, Blink's death song, it was not about somebody in particular, it was just about suicide in general. And then we never know 
who they're talking about and meet you there. But this song I've read is definitely about Jordan's grandfather passing away. And I think what's kind of cool about it, at times in the song, he's talking to his grandfather and expressing how he's missing him. And at times it seems like he's almost talking to a family member and trying to console them. Like he's talking to his grandmother or he's talking Mm -hmm. to a parent. And I thought that was also kind of interesting. It's like his role is to comfort the people around him who are also dealing with this same death. And that made me think back to the people that I've lost in my life. I've lost a few of my grandparents and thinking back to those funerals and trying to comfort my parents through that. So it did bring back some of those emotions. I thought that's a little bit deeper than a typical pop punk theme. Yeah, I would agree. And like you were saying, there's a certain role that you play as the grandson or the grandchild because you always look to your parents as like the strongest people in your life and that's their most vulnerable time. And obviously you're sad you've lost a grandparent, but it's almost unfathomable that they've just lost their mother or, or their father. And so it's kind of like you got to play almost like a middleman role and be sad, but also try to be as strong as you've ever tried to be previously just to be able to provide that support. It's always kind of a weird role to play, like the child kind of propping up or supporting the parent. But in certain situations like this, like um, like one of the lines, it's like memories may fade, but pick like or. So it's uh, every breath that you remember, the pictures fade away, but the memory is forever. We have so many pictures or videos or whatever, but you're always going to go to parties and you're going to talk about, hey, remember when Pop said this or Grandpa said that or, or Grandma did this thing? So that kind of stuff, it keeps the people alive, keeping them in your life through stories and through past experiences. I think that's a really cool, a really cool sentiment in this song. My Cynical Self, I did find some stuff that I found a little bit funny with this track. Uh, One of the lines is, I heard about the bad news today, a crowd of people around you telling you it's okay, and everything happens for a reason. And I was just thinking if that's what people were reassuring me as I was dying, I would be be really ticked off. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm just on my deathbed and you're just telling me, oh, don't worry, it all happens for a reason. Well, that's what I was so curious about, Mike. Is Jordan talking to his grandfather who's dying that line, or is he talking to a family member with that line? It wasn't too clear to me, but I think one would be very insensitive, and one would be attempting to be consoling, I guess. Yeah. So the exact line is, I heard about the bad news today, a crowd of people around you. So I guess he's talking to his grandfather. It's a tough call. What do you tell somebody that's next to you in the process of passing away? Whatever eloquent thing you may have rehearsed that never is what you say and then also the line going back to what you're saying about you always have those memories and you always have the the stories and the pictures of them in the chorus the line empty chair at all the tables that imagery to me is extremely powerful because you think about your family parties and that first big family get together when that family member isn't there and there's a noticeable spot missing at the party. I think about my Christmas parties where your grandparent isn't there anymore. And it's like, wow, these are the times that they loved and we are really missing them right now. Yeah. That line always was the one that probably since we probably listened to this at a younger age, that was the one that stuck out as like, Oh, this song is about somebody not being there anymore. It's a great way to describe that without hitting the nail on the head, I guess. And a lot of the time, 
an older person in your family, they do have their specific spot or their chair or like the place they sit at different parties or oh like they take a nap in the chair after Thanksgiving dinner, things like that. So that line always was like like a ooh, you know, that one hit pretty hard. It does. It's a gut punch. They did a, they did a really good job with that one. It, it uh, it's obvious that it came from a place of experience and not just like a let me write my song about dying, you know. Right. Lines like that are the ones that are like, okay, this is pretty heartfelt. I think out of all the songs that we've listened to so far in the first few episodes, this one, for one reason or another, I think is the saddest and I think probably affected me the most. You think back to all the really depressing Simple Plan songs that they have, and while they're all very slow and sad and emotional, none of them feel that specific or hit that close to home as this one does. Because a lot of those are just like, all right, man, well, life sucks today, but it'll probably get better tomorrow. But it takes a long time to really not get over, but get past somebody passing away. So, And that's that's something that happens at any age, not just when you're in high school and forget to study for a test or, you know, break up with a girl or something. Track four, something I call personality. This one's really good. It reminds me a lot of the first song on the album, Understatement. Another one of those classic mosh pit, get the crowd going at concert songs. And this one always reminds me of at these recent Newfound Glory concerts that I went to with my brother Shane. We would always try to fight our way to the front, even though we're there in a crowd of... It's usually a mix between middle schoolers and high schoolers that are now just discovering the band and also people our age who are washed up and trying to relive yeah. the glory days of pop punk. So it's actually an interesting mix, but Shane and I always try to force our way to the front. And at one of the ones recently, we actually crowd surfed and actually made it essentially to the <laughs> stage. So that was, that was a uh, kind of funny. And this song always reminds me of that because it's always when the crowd is really energetic and always when people are trying to fight that you, you kind of make your way there. That's awesome. Well, good for you guys for getting after it. I feel like, I feel like our role these days is kind of like quiet dude with a beer in the back, just bobbing his head. <laughs> yeah. So good for you guys for, you know, myself, I'm a bit of a bigger stature than you guys, so I probably couldn't make it all the way to the front. <laughs> that's, it was, that's awesome. I think it was the right combination of peer pressure and soda pops that it just makes you want to get in there, you know? Yeah, that's definitely like a Drake and Josh storyline, too. <laughs> like they, they crowd surf to the front of the concert at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually was able to high five Jordan. I got all the way to the front, reached my hand out, and he high fived me. So that was that's awesome. I didn't wash my hand for three weeks afterwards. So, but yeah, man, I could definitely see this being a huge pit song and a huge go crazy, let some let some emotion out, and it it kind of serves that purpose on the album too. Like how somber, even just us talking about Sunny was. Like this one is just such a cool like, let's go. Like that's the they just scream that right off the bat. You know this is going to be like an upbeat track, a really fun track. They're trying to pump you up. Exactly. I do really want to see them live, just even in these first couple songs talking about them. I think it would be, it sounds like a really fun time. They're fun concerts. Yeah, and also these days, Mike, Ryan Key, who is the lead singer of Yellow Card, 
he's now their touring guitarist and backup vocalist. So that's awesome. Yeah. So the concerts are incredible. Do they tour the yellow card on yellow cards final tour? Am I remembering that right? Right. Or is that, I, we just look that up. It doesn't matter. But... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. That would have been an incredible farewell tour. I remember yellow card was cause they, they're one of those bands that I think did like a farewell tour. Like, okay, we're, we're kind of over touring and whatnot. And I feel like NFG might've toured with them, but it sounds accurate to me. doesn't matter. You just cut this out. (laughs) 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 So the theme of this one, Mike, what I got out of this was it's about being in a relationship with a quote unquote crazy boyfriend or girlfriend. And you're essentially always on the defensive and always trying to justify your actions and your motives and preparing for them to just bash everything that you do or everything that you say. Yeah. They're basically gaslighting you. That's right. Yeah. It seems like it's the theme of this is gaslighting. It's similar to my friends over you where it's kind of like, look, you're great. I got a lot of good stuff going on and I don't need you trying to bring me down. It's just somebody that's kind of insatiable. Like you're never going to please them or satisfy what they want of you. There's a couple of lines that really stuck out to me. It's uh, no matter how happy you are, you'll always want more. So you can be the happiest person in the world and it's never enough, which is turns out to be a miserable place. No matter how happy, you're still miserable. It, it sucks. And then the next line is, no matter how stupid I get, you're always going to want more. So it's like, I can try to bend over backwards to please you, take care of you, live up to your expectations, but it's never going to be exactly the way you want it. So it's like, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. And this is not even to like the extent of this song. Like I've been in, in arguments with my wife at times when it's like, what more do you want from me? And it's like, obviously you can always help out the other person a little bit more, but there are those times when it's like, nothing I do is enough. <laughs> it's like in my own uh, uh, 30 year old married 12, life. Yeah. 30 year old, 12 year old body. Yeah. <laughs> still like, and she'll tell you that you don't do anything. There's the line before you jump down my throat, dot, dot, dot. And it's like, you're basically just, preparing for the worst you're preparing for this person to attack you i just have an image of a girlfriend looking at the guy's phone and being like who's this that you're texting yeah oh and that i'm guilty of that too i'm always on the defense yeah even if it's like a constructive criticism sort of thing it's like wait what but there's that's what i'm talking about man that's that body language with the throat you know we talked about earlier i'm sick of smiling so is my jaw jumping down my throat it's always this like really kind of physical stuff. Yeah. I didn't I didn't pick up on that quite as much as you did. That's interesting that that is kind of mentioned several times. Maybe that means it's not worth mentioning. I don't know, but Yeah, I don't know. But this song it just it does make me think about your friends who've had those relationships where it just seems like they always fight and they never are good enough for each other and they're always checking in on each other and Yeah, that's the thing. It's like everybody fights, but in between those fights you need to see something worth keeping around. And a lot of the time it's like, you guys aren't a good fit. It does make you think that some people just aren't meant to be together. And I feel like that's what this song is getting at is like, some people just don't match up. Right. Track number five, Head on Collision.
This was, I believe, their second single on the album after My Friends Over You, probably the second most popular song of the album. Personally, I liked this song at the time and I knew it at the time. I don't know if it's one of my favorites on the album, but it was a very big one. And it's it seems to be about two people who constantly bump heads, whether it's in a relationship, a friendship, it could be a family member, a teammate, but they just never see eye to eye and they probably never will. And it's just this constant battle and this constant friction. I think the album cover always reminded me of this song. Uh, yeah. The album cover in my mind looks like kind of like a brother and sister fighting on, on a lawn or something. You know, maybe you had like a neighborhood football game or like a neighborhood uh, soccer game or something. And then it always ends up in some sort of little melee. I always pictured that album cover in my mind when I was listening to this song as like a literal depiction of it. But the other thing I always think of with Head on Collision is, did you take driving school in high school? Like, did you do like a driving school program? Yeah, I had a driving instructor. Okay, so my driving instructor would always, we had these um, repeat after me kind of things. Okay. And one of the things that he would always say is two thirds of all crashes are rear enders because and then the whole class would say head on is dead on (laughs) i mean which i guess is a proven statistic but i always thought it was like yikes it's not like people are trying to crash head first into each other yeah but there's something very dark about that (laughs) for sure (laughs) but i remember sitting in class thinking uh head on collision (laughs) he should have just played this song for you guys Two-thirds of all crashes are rear-enders because head-on is dead-on. <laughs> it's like, okay, thanks, dude. <laughs> just just help me pass my test. Yeah. Um, I totaled my parents' car in 2009, so. Oh, was it a this, head-on collision? No, it was <laughs> it was a single-car crash. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what did you hit? A median. What? A, a median. It was like. How does that happen? Those cattle shoots where you take a right turn. Yeah. I was trying to go straight, but my right wheels clipped the curb, and so I just launched across an intersection and just bent the car frame in half. That sounds like, like user error to me. Dude, it was part user error. I was looking at the street sign, so it was part user error, but the curb had been chipped away because so many people before me had hit it. Are you blaming was... the curb for your accident? Hmm? Yeah, I am, because the curb was basically like a launching ramp. Did the curb's insurance cover it, or...? No, my parents did. It was funny because <laughs> I worked at State Farm like 10 years later and uh, I was going through their claim history with them at one point, just putting them ID cards or something. And they're, they're on their record as a $16,000 claim <laughs> from me. <laughs> 2006 Honda Accord totaled. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it was a month before I went to college too. It sucked. Were there people driving at the time when you launched into the middle of the intersection? No, it was like later at night so and i remember the cop no the cops never came what some security guard was on duty at the building across the street and he ran over so <laughs> like, are you okay and it was weird man like the airbags deployed that doesn't seem like the correct protocols for me a security guard just gonna write this one up 
we called the cops and they came eventually, but it, it was a single car crash. So it's like, okay, this kid is either drunk, high, or stupid. And <laughs> in this case, it was the third. So that was one of those things where I think we were talking about last week with Simple Plan where your parents are just happy that you're okay. Yeah. But then they're like, as soon as that subject is secure, it's like, you are an idiot. What the hell were you doing? This was before GPS. So I was going the wrong way on, I think it was County Line Road. Oh, yeah. And I thought I should be getting near home. And I was like, I don't know any street signs. Uh, I love that. Anyway, so I don't know. Head on collision. It's 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 a great song, but it just makes me think of crashing cars and, and sitting through hours and hours of driver's ed. Those disturbing themes. Wow. Oh, God. How do you get back on topic after that? I don't know. So I think we're kind of on the same page. I don't know if it's my least favorite track on the album, but it's like, I don't always have to listen to this one. I understand that it was very popular at the time. And listening to it now, I think there are just so many better songs. But I don't hate it. I just like a lot of them better. Right. And this was also the song where All Time Low actually got their band name, right? That's right. Yeah. One of the lines in the song is at an all time low. And that's where they took it from. Pretty interesting. So it had an effect on them, I guess, just not on us. I'm telling you, man, I remember it. (laughs) It's forgettable for me in the sense that I don't want to relive. (laughs) That's been my only car accident. So I don't like, I don't like thinking about it. That's pretty lucky that that's the only one you've had. I've had more than that. So did you ever total a car? Yes. Oh man. Uh, yes. I totaled a car like two years ago. So, oh damn. But it was my car, so it was only me to blame. That makes it better. I totaled the car, and then the car got towed to a lot, and then the lot flooded, so the car was double totaled. <laughs> <laughs> so they thought maybe they could fix it, and then all the in- all the internal pieces got fried, and they're like, okay, <laughs> here's a check. Okay, on last week's episode, we were talking about the worst day ever, and I told you that you were going to have the worst day ever, and there's a big miscommunication. That might have been your actual worst day ever. No, I'm telling you, man. I honestly hope I've already had my worst day ever. Yeah, okay. I think we may have pinpointed it. Problem solved. That could have been it. Then I went to the hospital and... (laughs) This is the car crash podcast. Yeah, what? How are we still talking about this? Well, I don't know. It's a fun story. I keep going. I went to the hospital and I felt fine, but my parents wanted me to get checked out to make sure I didn't have internal bleeding, as you do. And... uh. (laughs) The nurse was like, are you aching? And I was like, no, I'm unbreakable. Like the Mel, or not Mel Gibson, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. He was in the car crash and he was unbreakable. Yeah. But they didn't think that was funny. Yeah. It was like an ER nurse at like 1130 at night. Yeah. So. She was probably was like, I don't have time for this bonehead 17 year old kid thinking he's funny. Mike, can I do a tangent on top of a tangent? Sure. I tried out for the movie Unbreakable. To be the little kid in that movie, probably around that same time. Wow. Got a call back and had to memorize the script. Who beat you out for that role? A famous kid. He was the little kid in the movie Gladiator. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're really going off off uh, topic. We here. are. But weren't you in a callback for Big Daddy, too? I tried out for Big Daddy. I didn't get a callback. Big Daddy as well, excuse me. Yeah. Big Daddy, I. Didn't get it. I tried out for it. I did not get a callback. Unbreakable was the one movie that I got a callback, and I had to. Wow. I had to perform the script. I had to act out the script in front of producers. Wow. 
Yeah. Could have been something. So were your parents like show parents or did you have an interest in? Boy, were they. They really forced me into that. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's get back on topic here. Now we know every song about parents forcing their kids into show business will really resonate with you. Yeah. Which is every song. Common theme in pop punk. Track number six is called It's Been a Summer. I have a pretty big question for you, Mike. I was 50-50. Actually, I was 51-49. I couldn't decide if this song was about a summer fling or about a breakup. I say summer fling. Okay, cool. Me too. Really? Yeah. I think most people would listen to the song and think it's about a breakup. And the first couple times I listened to it and the first couple times I read the lyrics, I also thought it was a breakup. And then the more I listened to it, I thought, no, this could be about a summer fling. I think it's Summer Fling because the one lyric that um, it's burning up in here, even though the bed is cold on your side, I'd rather die than spend this night here without you. I don't know. To me, it was like... That could go either way. Yeah. It's burning up in here because it was like a hot fling, but the bed is now cold because she's gone or he's gone, depending who's listening, whatever. So I don't know. I guess it's up for interpretation. There was another line, Mike, that said... I would try to fix these flaws of mine if I could just see you for one more time. That made me think, possibly break up, because he has flaws, she left him because of his flaws. But I was also thinking he could just be saying that he would literally do anything, he'd fix his flaws, he'd do anything to get one more month with this person because it was a summer fling and it ended prematurely. Yeah. Or maybe, like, if you leave who you're with currently, I'm willing to fix whatever's wrong with me or whatever hesitations you might have so i'm willing to fix my flaws for you i was leaning towards summer fling i think mainly because we've had breakup songs before and we've even heard more breakup songs on this album and i kind of wanted it to be about a summer fling i think it could be he talks about obviously the title is it's been a summer and there are a lot of allusions to summer months obviously it being hot and to me it reminded me a lot of summer camp relationships you hang out with those people. It doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship, but even friendships that you have in the summer. You and I, we went to the same summer camp for a number of years, and you would see those people for three months straight. They would become very close friends of yours, and then all of a sudden you'd go back to school, go back to middle school, grade school, high school, and you wouldn't see them for a number of months. And it could be romantically, too. You have those summer flings with people, and then all of a sudden you have to go back to school, and you don't see them for a while. But you know that in the back of your mind you'll eventually be back there with them. Yeah, I always said that camp friends are the best friends because when you're at camp, there's really no pressure. Your pressure is just like, try to hit the target in archery. <laughs> yeah. School gets more complicated because you're worried about tests and stuff like that. Camp is just like that perfect carefree atmosphere where you kind of just run wild and do your thing and start to kind of intermingle and get to know people and meet girls and whether they're friends or dating or whatever you want to call it at that point in, in your life. I think I'm definitely guilty of listening to this song 
most nights before like the first day of school mm-hmm. like after summer vacation ended because it's just like the song title like well it's been a summer just the the matter of fact is that a sad feeling for you to listen to that at the end of the summer no it's kind of cool it's like wow what a cool summer that's a positive way to look at it yeah and it was never really related to the lyrics or anything i think i mentioned it last week where or in, in the blink episode when i talked about going to college i would just search my itunes library for songs about college similarly uh, at the end of summer during summer i would just search summer (laughs) and this song always came up and i'm like let me check this one out so it's definitely been one of the songs i listen to more frequently on this album i really like a lot of this song and there's one line in particular i just wanted to mention it because i think it's my favorite couplet on the album jordan sings i don't believe in sure things there's pain in what the truth brings that line has always stuck out to me that is a good one. has a nice flow to it. I was thinking like a good way to describe it would be if somebody said you have to get one lyric tattooed on your body from this album, what would it be? So it would probably be that one. Whoa. That seems like yeah. a commitment to me. No, I mean, I'm saying I would never do that. But if I had to, if you had to choose. Sorry, I meant to say that sounds like a commitment to me. I'm not actually committed to doing it. <laughs> All right. If we get... Over a thousand listens on this episode. You have to do it. Uh, I want to parlay that into something else. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. That's fair enough. Let me parlay that into another couplet. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. We'll take the parlay. This is the pop punk parlay after all. So (laughs) yeah. Uh, One final thing I want to say about the song, which I thought was kind of a funny thought that I had. This song also reminds me of those kids who go away to summer camp and come back and say that they have a girlfriend back at summer camp or they had their first make out at summer camp and you're always like no for whatever reason i thought about that did you watch the most recent season of stranger things yeah it's uh dustin right yeah dustin does that nobody believes him and then sure enough she makes an appearance and everybody is corrected yeah i really like stranger things i probably need to rewatch that season because it came out right as we were welcoming our son into this world so i would kind of watch it in the middle of the night when i was up with him but yeah, there's always that kid that's like, there's no way anybody likes you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's really, it's really mean, but it's like, nobody would ever fall in love with you. Yeah. The whole theme is summer fling, and that's like the ultimate fake relationship, the summer fling, so. Yeah. One of those camps where people come from all over the place. I think in Stranger Things example, it was like a science camp or something. Exactly right. Or like space camp. Track number seven, Forget My Name. This one, I think, is my favorite song on the album. I really like the hits. I I like My Friends Over You. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. But I actually do like Forget My Name better. I think the more I've listened to it recently, the more I've liked it. Definitely. It's always been a standout for me. You can't beat a song that just starts out by saying, tell all my friends I'm dead. Yeah, it's an aggressive start. You're hooked. It's like, wait, what? Well, that's what I love about the intro is so different. I'm dead. I'm leaving you. This time it's for good. Tell all my friends that I'm dead. It won't be long before you 
forget my name. That's also becomes the chorus, and the chorus is so awesome and powerful. And this is another one that I hate to keep going back to this, but I do think back to the concerts that I've been to, and this is one where they really get the crowd's participation, the crowd's attention with this one, because it's such a low start, and all you can hear is the crowd singing it. That's awesome. Then you have that, dun, 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 dun. yeah, classic pop punk. All right, let's bring it up now. It is a very catchy song, Mike. But is the song about depression? Is it a darker theme song, or is it more like the dramatic middle school overreaction, like we saw in Simple Plan songs, where it, it's like you know every day is the worst day ever. This song talks about tell all my friends I'm dead. I'm leaving for good. Like, is this just a middle school kid who's fed up with his family and his parents and overreacts to a minor setback and a minor inconvenience? Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I always I always thought of it as you're being dramatic. Oh, I want to die. Or like, oh, kill me. Right. Like, oh, tell my friends I'm dead. Kind of trying to gauge, does anybody even care if I'm dead or alive? Right. So in my opinion, it's definitely more on the dramatic side. I was thinking, like, you always kind of wonder, who's even going to come to my funeral? So yeah. that kind of sentiment, like, oh, tell my friends I'm dead and see who actually cares. It is that kind of pubescent over-emotion where it's like you're feeling a lot of pressure about different stuff. And it's like, this is too much to handle. I was hoping it was that because otherwise it would be, it's this song about feeling insignificant and stressing about too many things, running away, starting over, feeling like nobody yeah. will remember you at the end of the day, which I think is, if you take that literally, is very dark and sad to think about. It's a song sung by a ghost. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tell all my friends I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's like the part where it's like, it won't be long before you forget my name. Go, oh, you, you might pretend to care, but you won't remember me for long, so. Yeah. That's a very simple plan theme, and it's something that we discussed before, how it's like everything that happened back then, it could be like you not getting enough dessert or you not being able to stay up late, and you're like, that's it, I'm leaving, and I'm I'm ending it all. Thanks a lot, Mom and Dad. Yeah. Do you know what, what in particular made this your favorite song? The live experience, probably, or? Not even the live experience. I think it just it just sounds good. It does. The chorus is extremely catchy. It is really bold, and it does kind of make you want to jump around a little bit. I don't know exactly why, but why do you like it so much? Same reasons? I think so. The intro of it doesn't really have... It's just kind of Jordan singing, and it kind of hooks you in, and then it's a weird song. It's like I think we both are on the same page where it's like it's not really meant to be a sad death song, but more of just a dramatic youth song. Track 8, Never Give Up. It was almost an inspirational song, a little bit. It made me think a little bit of John Cena and how he's always like, oh, never give up. Isn't that his <laughs> catchphrase? It is, yeah. John Cena! 
<laughs> so I got two different themes. One is don't back down and be brave. And the second one was forget about the past. And I thought those kind of went together pretty nicely. And I thought they were trying to say that part of being brave is forgetting about the past. Like that's a very hard thing to do. This is definitely kind of two people in a new relationship that maybe have past issues or past dealings with other people that when you get into a new relationship with somebody like that has history with another person, there's always rumors and there's always people saying, oh, well, he was with her or she was with him. And it's kind of like, you know what, let's forget whoever we dated in the past, whatever happened in the past, and let's just start new. Let's just make our own thing, not worry about what other people are saying or, or whatever. So I thought that was kind of a cool sentiment compared to other tracks where it's like, he said, she said, this is kind of more of a, let's work together to make this new thing kind of great. I thought that too. That was definitely part of it because there is a line that says, I really don't care about before, before you met me. So he doesn't care about her past or she doesn't care about his past. But I also just got a more general vibe of like, it's important to just forget about the mistakes you made in the past. So I think it could be about, you could interpret it as, I'll forget about the bad things in my past. And also I'll forget about the bad things in your past. So yeah, it was interesting. I feel like it could go either way. Yeah. And then the chorus is everyone has a head upon their shoulders. We're losing our pride as we all, as we all get older. So it's like, put your pride aside and let's just try to make it work. There's also some uh, great vocal harmonies on here that I really enjoyed. That's something we didn't mention. I think newfound glory is another band. Simple plan. We talked extensively about their harmonies and their melodies being a lot different. Good Charlotte, we had mentioned, were similar to them. Newfound Glory is another band that really utilizes good harmonies. I think the lead guitarist, Chad Gilbert, he does the backup vocals, and they use him a lot in a lot of their songs. And you can really hear it. And this is what, definitely one of the songs where you can hear that. I remember you were saying, like, this is almost like their Disney song. The upbeat song, almost like a let it go like a tumultuous journey finding yourself and coming to the understanding that whoever you are is it's okay to be that person. Yeah. It feels like a Disney song. It has that vibe to it. And it's no coincidence that, or maybe it is a coincidence that 15 years later they did a cover of let it go for one of their, from the screen to your, uh, whatever headphones from the screen to your stereo. Right. So yeah, they've done a couple of those since the, the earlier one, right? Yeah, they've released, I think, three of those. And so on wow. the most recent one, they released Let It Go. And this song feels like Let It Go in a lot of ways. It's uplifting. It's like, whatever happened in the past, uh, I'm pretty sure Let It Go, one of the lines is, the past is in the past. It is. So that's almost, if not word for word, sentiment for sentiment, this yeah. song. So yeah. I, I think we can conclude that Disney copied Newfound Glory. And that's why Frozen is yeah. so popular. We can close the book on that one. Yeah. Track number nine is called The Great Houdini. This one felt like you're in a relationship with somebody who's really closed off, they're oblivious, and they're really flawed. 
And on top of that, what makes it worse is that they're really unchanging and stuck in their ways. And you try to help them, but they don't want to be helped. This is completely different than the song we just discussed, where it's like, as opposed to being open for change and trying to better yourself for another person, you're kind of closed off and not willing to adjust or... Right. The person you're with is acting that way. Right. Yeah, there's a line, all dressed up and nowhere to go. So as if you're, you're ready for something. But the next line is, I think I'm taking this trip alone. So you recognize that this person is not coming with you. They're not going to be willing to change. They're not going to be willing to do the right thing. And so you essentially just move on. And so it makes you think about, there's got to be people in your life, Mike, who have their flaws and you've tried to help them and they're just unwilling. Yeah. Everybody's more stubborn at times than others. So, and it gets frustrating, you know, and I think that's part of the frustration that we see in this song. The final lines of the song are, there's nothing left to say. You'll never change your ways. So where do you think the title comes in? Is it just a disappearing act? Like just one person leaving another person? Yeah, that's what I thought. To me, it sounded like you're frustrated with this person who doesn't want to change. They don't want to correct their issues. And so you basically disappear like Houdini. You're gone. You're moving on. Yeah. I saw the title. I'm like, is there going to be a a chorus like, I'm the great Houdini? (laughs) (laughs) I mean it should have been a little more upbeat and fun than what it actually is with a title like that I'm the great Houdini and you can't see me (laughs) you should write for that but yeah that's the logical maybe it would have actually been a hit if if you had written that yeah with that theme it does make me think about people who I've been to college with and college is a time where people sort of give into a lot of their vices and You have your friends in college who have some serious flaws and you call them out on it and they're unwilling to change. So you just kind of move on from them. Yeah. And then maybe check back in with them in like 10 years. (laughs) Are you saying that from experience? If you're 22 and you're like doing dumb stuff all the time, maybe you'll change, but hopefully you'll change, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm still doing dumb stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Quick break. Dude, great. Who didn't even start to get through? Dude. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have any notes. I know. Yeah, I, I could see you reading my note, and it's like, do you think it's just a disappearing act like Houdini? And I was like, oh. No, I I, I knew you would think that because I looked at your notes after the fact, yeah. but I – no, I came to that conclusion on my yeah. own. <laughs> that was a fucking <laughs> tough one. <laughs> Dude, did you watch Tiger King? Yeah. Can you hear that? Yeah. This is an actual video they made. <laughs> Dude, is that cameo? It must be cameo, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. <clears throat> Track 10 is singled out. It's a lot different than the rest of the songs in the album. It's It starts out very synth, electronic, and it sounds a lot like some more recent Newfound Glory, like from the album, what's the album, Radio Surgery, where they have like more synthy pop? I said earlier, I haven't listened to a ton of their new stuff, but... If this is what the new stuff sounds like, then I need to check it out because 
I really, really like this song. And I think I'm going to make a bold move here and say that this is currently my, my favorite song on this album. That is bold. So what do you think about that? I think it's a very bold move. I don't think I could have told you anything about this song a month ago, but just listening to it, I love the synth opening. I love how it just like goes right into like a heavy riff, heavy chorus. So Do they play this one live? Do you know? Or is this one of their B-sides or, or lesser-known tracks? I don't think I've ever actually heard this song live. I don't think they typically play this one live. I could be wrong, but I don't remember it. Okay. I kind of like the synth. And the synth is, like, lower, so you have to kind of turn up the volume if you want to really hear it. And then it just kind of breaks into some good old-fashioned rock and roll. Yeah. It gets a lot heavier than the opening. The opening is just totally different from anything else on this album, which I noticed. They probably just bought like a synthesizer and wanted to test it out. So you think they decided to test it out on their their junior installment? Yeah. Let's throw this one on there after the Great Houdini. Yeah. Uh, the Great Houdini, our favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> that memorable song, The Great Houdini. I did think like this song kind of relates back to some other songs on the album. I really kind of like the lyrics. Why do you have to go and make me say these things about you? So it's kind of blaming the other person for your own actions. Mm -hmm. It's kind of he said, she said. Whose fault is it really? It's definitely a breakup song. And it is weird. The one thing I couldn't stop thinking about when I listened to this again is it's so strange how you can be dating somebody and they could be your best friend in the world and you spend every minute of every day with them. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of minutes, you break up and now they're your worst enemy. That's what I got out of this song. And I think breakup songs, we've heard them before, but this one really gets to the core of that, of that feeling like this is somebody who was in your life and now they're not in your life anymore. And in fact, you hate them. It's sad. It's a really tough 180, you know? And I think they do a pretty good job of explaining that. The first verse is, I figured all these years we shared were proof enough to extend my hand and help you. So it's like you have all these years that you've shared together and you feel like that's enough to kind of go off of and whether or not this relationship works out, at the very least, you should try to remain friends. Yeah, but it makes you think, like, how many how many past romantic relationships have you had where you remained friends with them? I guess it depends. If you were friends to begin with, I think that's probably your best bet. Right. That maybe you try something out and it's like, ah, oh, this is weird. But if you meet somebody and you weren't, you had no past history and the only history you have with them is dating and breaking up, then I guess there's not as much to save. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like in my own life with my past relationships, I've had relationships that have ended poorly, but I'm still friends with some of the girls that I've dated previously. So I guess it really just depends how the relationship ends. It could be a mutual decision to part ways, or it could be you have this blowout fight and there's really not any coming back from that, you know? Yeah, and this one seems like it's probably that last one. Definitely the last one. <laughs> Track 11 is belated. And Mike, I mentioned earlier there was an apology song on this album, which 
we haven't seen before, so this is uncharted territory, but this is that song. Awesome. It's all about how you know you messed up, you did something bad, you know that you're probably going to have to face the consequences and you deserve the consequences, and you let somebody down and you're probably not deserving of their forgiveness, but you hope to get it anyway. Right. And so it's this very dramatic, like, I did something horrible to this person, something so bad. And there are lines like, bridges will fall, the earth will open up, which is so dramatic. And then all of a sudden they... <laughs> They weave in this, September came so quickly, I wasn't prepared. I didn't mean to miss your birthday. That's the only thing they mentioned that is what they're apologizing for. That's the one mess up. Did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> They must, they must have been dating the worst person in the world. <laughs> the album starts with like, it's like a, a cry for help. It's like those, every song's like, you were everything I wanted, but I can't finish when I started. Like she's just instilling in him that he's a terrible person because he forgot to do enough on her birthday. Is this what it's all about? Is this what the whole album's about? That he forgot a birthday? I think it is. This entire song itself is just, it seems like it's just that simple fact, but it's such a dramatic apology. This is, I don't even know if I took a stance on my least favorite song, but I changed it to this. Wow. <laughs> it's out there now. September came so quickly. The, the ninth month of the year came so quickly. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I was trying to think, like, is this an actual, did somebody in the band need to write this song? to save a relationship and need to actually put that public apology out there. It seems like that's the case. Yeah, they might have. I mean, there's no better way to do it than throwing a whole song in your album to devote to that. Yeah, for sure. Like you were saying, I don't get the dramatic part of it. The earth will open up and try to pull us in, but we'll get through this. Yeah. Are we just reading it wrong? Is it just a, a big joke, but they just sing it in a serious way? Oh, so Maybe. We, we think that they're being serious about it. If that's the case, then joke's on us, but... I guess so. I've listened to the song so many times, and I've sung the lyrics so many times, and I never realized that it was such a minor thing that they are like... I was prepared. Yeah. <laughs> what a minor slip-up that now you need to... Dude, I can kind of relate, though, because now that Abby's a mom, I have birthday in February, anniversary, and Mother's Day in May. It's a big month. There's a lot of dates to remember. That's true. The list just keeps on growing. And Jordan, how do you expect Jordan, while he's on tour, to remember a birthday in September? He can't. He doesn't know what day it is. He barely knows what city he's in. Although, actually, I guess the birthday's in October because September came so quickly. Oh, no, it's probably September. It's definitely September. It's September. September came so quickly I wasn't prepared. Yeesh. So I guess the moral of this song is never forget your significant other's birthday or else you'll have to start a band hit the mainstream 
make a song and devote it to them. All's fair in love and uh, war. Wow. Deep. So stupid. The final track on the album, The Story So Far. To me, this felt like the classic rom-com storyline. The words, I can't remember the time or place or what you were wearing. It's unclear about how we met. All I know is it was the best conversation that I ever had. And you get that feeling of two people who are falling in love at first sight. Everything else around them is blurred out and they're just so focused on each other. And all I could think about listening to this was rom-coms from those days. Yeah. We've talked about it multiple times so far, but... Newfound Glory and covering a lot of songs from the movies and TV or whatever. One of the songs they covered was Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer. Yeah. I think that was one of the most famous songs that they actually covered. It was. And that's from the classic date movie, like the girl walking down the stairs. So it kind of carries that same emotion, I guess. You don't really remember the words that were exchanged, but you remember how you felt in that moment. Yeah. Like for you, you're married and... You can probably think about the emotions you felt when you and Abby fell in love. We're recording this in July of 2020, so I may be divorced by the time you listen to it. But <laughs> Well, no, when she I, listens to this episode, maybe. <laughs> I was thinking, I mean, not to get too personal, but I was thinking like when I proposed, I don't really remember exactly what I said. And that's the first question that everybody kind of asks is like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, how did it happen? And honestly, we just went out to eat and neither of us really remember what I said. Like I had rehearsed a bunch of stuff and it didn't really do justice how I felt. So this part of the song really did resonate with me where it's like, I've been there, you know, I planned it for months and I still don't remember what I said. Yeah. You're so focused on each other in that moment that everything else around you kind of drowns out. And that's what this song is capturing. It also, there were a couple lines that made me feel like, it has to be love at first sight. It has to be a first date because there's that line, did you notice I was afraid? I thought I'd run out of things to say. That made me feel like, I know you haven't been on a first date in a very long time, but that is a, a serious concern you have when you're on a first date is like, am I going to be able to hold a conversation long enough at the dinner table mm-hmm. and not make it awkward? And I kind of had that awkward sense there. But that's just what he's feeling going into it. And then he realizes that this is real and this is true love. Yeah, I can see that. I wonder how many people have this as their wedding song. <laughs> uh, can you see that as like... I could see it as being a wedding song. I can probably count on one hand how many people have actually done it. <laughs> I bet you that there's people that use this song. I'm sure there are people who have used this as their song. It can't be that many. Well, there's honestly no way to know, but... yeah. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of the same sort of sentiment as Ben Fold's song, The Luckiest, where it's mm-hmm. like an unlikely wedding song, but people that both like the song, they really like the song. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You're all in on this song. It is a really sweet song. If you play it the right way, get the right DJ or the right band, I could definitely see it being a nice opening track to your wedding. 
Yeah, it's a nice wholesome wedding song. What do you think about this line, Mike? To this day, I've never found someone with eyes as wide as yours. Does that just mean that they're wide-eyed and optimistic, or is that a physical feature that they like? <laughs> That's an actual line in this song. They're wide-eyed and optimistic? No, they just have bug eyes. <laughs> I mean... They just, like, <laughs> stare. Is that... Are they just attracted to somebody who has humongous eyes? Yeah, I think <laughs> probably just the wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, just optimism and seeing the good in, in the world and, and people. Okay, that makes a little more sense. Then the line's acceptable. It could be a really particular um, turn-on, just girls or guys with just bulging eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah. Just very intense at all times. <laughs> Will you marry me? <laughs> That's so creepy. It is. The band, the story so far, took their name from this song, obviously. That's another added bonus. That's another added bonus. Wow, what a... <laughs> That's a bonus bonus. That's a well, bonus bonus of this song. This is my local personal fact we talked about tommy earlier how our friend tom introduced you to newfound glory and i was thinking back i'm like this song never really stood out to me like it, it was never one of my favorite songs on this album obviously it's like one of the better songs i would say but i was like why is this song so familiar and i was thinking is it because of the story so far like the band name but then i was thinking no like i know i've seen this earlier in my life so i could swear that tom put this as his favorite song in our eighth grade memory book no he didn't so i found our eighth grade memory book so what yeah so here it is this is our whoa yeah you have that for sure dude and after i don't have that oh i can copy it for you okay um, cool did he list this song i'm gonna tell you dude i haven't fact checked this yet i'm just saying i believe that he put this oh you're doing this live Oh, dude, I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> well, well, now what? I was so ready to be right. That was such... It could have been an exciting moment. I don't even know who the... What did he put? Now I have to know. He put his favorite song as My Life Story. By MXPX? I guess. I could have sworn it was a story so far because you're like, oh, yeah, Tommy showed me Newfound Glory. Oh. I'm like, it definitely was that. Dude. Um, what a letdown. Total letdown. The memory book? I don't even remember this publication. It was only for 8th graders. Alright, so my favorite song was Sweetness by Jimmy Eat World. Classic. And Strawberry Fields Forever by The Beatles. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And my favorite singer slash group was Good Charlotte and The Beatles. <laughs> and who? Was that, was that a joke? Good Charlotte and The Beatles, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Like who? Um, I couldn't hear you. Cool. Let's see your stupid... Oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's going to be so bad. Some 41. All right. Also good Charlotte. Dude, you named so many things for everything. Um, <laughs> so your email address was kjrunner321 at netscape.net. Netscape? Yeah. What? kjrunner, dude. That's you. Yeah, but I thought it was at aol.com. Netscape.net. Wow. What a knockoff. Your hobbies include playing guitar and hanging out. Hanging out? <laughs> Who doesn't love hanging out? <laughs> uh, your favorite song is Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. I would have never guessed that. Uh, your favorite singer slash group was Green Day, Sum 41, and System of a Down. Okay. Yeah. Sounds right. You also, you're so, 
You couldn't even pick one favorite color. You put blue, red, and black. (laughs) (laughs) Write down a stupid color, dude. What were all of your... You didn't read all yours. Yeah, because mine were just normal answers. Let's hear them. Let's hear how normal they are. They weren't noteworthy. We're not laughing about your normal answers, are we? Favorite color, blue. Not blue, (laughs) red, and black. (laughs) My favorite food is pizza. Oh, that makes sense. Did you have it for dinner tonight? Yeah, I did. I love pizza. <laughs> My hobbies were playing video games, watching TV, and playing sports. Okay. Picking hobbies on hobbies over there. My favorite actor is Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite actor was <laughs> John Cleese, Robin Williams, and definitely a typo, Chris Frelay. Who? It's Chris Farley, but they left oh. out the A, and it was just like F-R-L-E-Y. I wrote Chris Farley? You love Chris Farley. Uh, did I? Probably when you were 13. I loved Adam Sandler, apparently. <laughs> Everybody loves Adam Sandler. Uh, your favorite uh, memory was Mr. O'Connor's 7th grade reading class. Oh, what a class that was. We had a good time in that class. It's kind of sad that in 7th grade they still call it reading class. <laughs> I mean, didn't teach me, really. Anything else? Nothing else worth mentioning. But this is you. Oh, yeah. That was a tail end of my chubby face. That was, yeah, we always said, like, in high school, you got skinny and I got fat. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, reversed it. (laughs) You had a bowl cut. It's not, yeah, it's not as bullish as it appears, but... Anyway, I was so excited for Tom's because I knew it, it. I knew it was something about life story or something like that. Would have been an incredible payoff. Yeah. Okay, let's go. So that was it. It's a great album, Mike. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. I love Newfound Glory to this day. I think this is probably one of their most famous, popular albums. Although they have a bunch of them, but there was a lot in there. I mean. A lot of similar themes, but a lot of different themes that we explored. I think one of the deeper songs in Sunny and a lot of jams in My Friends Over You. And I know that we both like Forget My Name. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite albums as well. When we first decided we wanted to do this album, I was so pumped to just re-listen to it all because there's a lot of songs on this album that still get stuck in my head quite often. So I was kind of really excited to indulge once again and I found a brand new song that I really loved and singled out. So hearing it again, I'm like, this is really cool. Yeah. All week I listened to this multiple times through and never got sick of it, which is a testament to how awesome it is. What's significant about it is it is the mainstream success for Newfound Glory. I think they were popular leading up to this, but this is considered like a mainstream album. Yeah. Kind of similar to Blink with Enema of the State. They had a couple songs that might have been popular or got some airplay on local stations, but this was kind of their breaking out into pop culture and into our little worlds. So I think also there was a maturity and more variety in their lyrics compared to their earlier albums. Right. It's definitely similar themes to older albums, but more layers, you know? There's more to pick apart, I guess you could say. And I know that they also mentioned that being on tour so much so they were touring after their first two albums for the first time ever and living on the road made it more difficult to have relationships which is reflected in the content of these songs 
I'm sure it's easier having a girlfriend when you're off tour than when you're on tour. Yeah, absolutely. For obvious reasons. Right. The other thing that makes this album so significant is that so many bands were inspired by this clearly because bands named their bands after lyrics and after song titles from this album. Right. So not only are we inspired by this and we enjoy this, but the bands that we listen to now were inspired by this and enjoyed this. So they've had such an impact just on the genre in general. Their legacy is lasting. Third one in the books, Mike. Finally got to touch a little bit of Newfound Glory. I expect that we'll probably do a few more of their albums in the near future. For sure, for sure. For next week, episode four, we will be discussing some 41s, all killer, no filler. I'm pretty pumped about that one because some 41 was my favorite band in middle school, much of high school, loved them, was obsessed with them, especially this album. It's one of my favorites as well. I'm excited to dive back into it. I remember... Back in the day, I was a little bit afraid of the opening track. So I'm going to check that one out again a couple years later. But yeah, it's going to be an awesome week. I really enjoyed discussing Newfound Glory. I'm excited to move on to some some 41. Uh, in the meantime, if you guys want to get in touch with us, we're at gmail.com, poppunkproj, P-R-O-J. On Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject. Patreon.com slash poppunkproject. We're going to be putting some fun stuff on there at some point in time. And other than that, rate, review, subscribe, shoot us a comment, email, whatever. Any insight into these episodes or these songs that you want to get involved with, we welcome all feedback. We appreciate you guys listening. Thank you all again. We're so excited. We hit one million listeners. We hope you have the time of your lives. Good riddance.